This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. The United States Senate this week holds confirmation hearings for the nation's first ever black woman to be nominated to the Supreme Court. Nominated by President Joe Biden, Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson in her opening statements on Monday promised to decide cases from a neutral position. She has authored hundreds of decisions in her various judicial roles and faced Senate confirmation hearings for her position on the D.C. Circuit Court less than a year ago, where she was confirmed by members of both parties. But this week, Republican senators grilled her on her work as a federal public defender for Guantanamo detainees more than 10 years ago. And Senator Josh Hawley, in particular, honed in on her decisions in child pornography cases, cherry-picking her statements to suggest that she was soft on crime. Senator Lindsey Graham appeared intent on punishing Judge Jackson for what he perceived as poor treatment of right-wing justices Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett during their confirmation hearings. And the same week that the hearings were held, the GOP released an ad bizarrely conflating Judge Jackson with critical race theory by superimposing the acronym CRT over her initials KBJ. We turn now to Dr. Nadia Brown, Professor of Government, Chair of the Women's and Gender Studies Program and Affiliate in the African American Studies Program at Georgetown University. She was also the lead editor of Politics, Groups and Identities, a journal of the Western Political Science Association. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So first, um, let's you know get the uh, fact out of the way that before we get into the details of what these hearings have been like, how historic this hearing is, given that, you know, forget about not ha- ever having a black woman on the Supreme Court. We've never had a black woman nominee to the Supreme Court, right? Exactly. You are exactly right. In the Supreme Court's history of 115 judges, 110 have been white men. So this is an enormous moment. Just the fact that she may be able to serve on the Supreme Court. Of course, she has to get through this week's nominate, this this week's confirmation hearings. Um, But the fact that she is the first one to be nominated and there were countless other Black women who were qualified before her. Um, And so this is much more of an indictment on the American political system and institutions than it is um, to say that she isn't qualified. There are people that were qualified way before her, but they just never got the nomination. So let's talk about the hearings and how she is being received. Of course, because she's a nominee by a Democratic president, she is naturally receiving pretty favorable questioning from the Democratic side. It's the Republican side where a lot of the grilling is taking place. Interestingly, just um, less than a year ago, she was... Uh, she had a Senate confirmation hearing for the D.C. Circuit Court, and Republicans seem to not have any issues with her serving as a D.C. Circuit Court by and large. But now, this time around, they seem to be raising questions about things like what she did as a public defender uh, uh, during um, the time that she defended Guantanamo detainees. So what do you make of the Republican line of questioning? Some of this is to be expected and anticipated. particularly if we think about these hearings as more of political theater than actually trying to get to learn who the nominee is. What the Republicans and Democrats are trying to do are to push their own partisan agenda and try to see if this nominee will confirm or will kind of push back from 
partisan uh, labels like liberal or conservative or how would they think about an issue. I'm also recalling that November is an election year, right? So this is election year, November um, will be an election for midterms. And so these senators are also thinking about how their questioning is going to play into what news ads and um, kind of campaign ads, attack ads are going to be for the midterm elections. It's also important to note that there are most likely people that are in the Judiciary Committee uh, serving right now who will run for president in 2024. So they're using this opportunity as a way to have a platform to grandstand, to showcase their own partisan preferences and their political affiliations more so than really interrogate Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. And of course, she has to sit through all of this. Another thing that she seems to be subjected to, particularly from Senator Lindsey Graham, is, um, I mean, he seems to be engaging in a, a, a weird sort of payback for the treatment, or in his view, I imagine he thinks the mistreatment um, that Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett got. Um, he has repeatedly posed questions to Ketanji Brown-Jackson that Democrats posed, or he says posed to Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh. Of course, these are completely different people, and it seems to be a false equivalency, right? I mean, in Kavanaugh's case in particular, you had somebody testify to his behavior and an alleged assault when he was in, in, in high school. Right. Yeah. So the context is different. The people are different. The players are different. So this really is a case of whataboutism that has nothing to do with uh, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. It has more so to do with Lindsey Graham himself, right? So ever unresolved issues that he has, um, that's been on full display here. The other thing to note that has come up in Lindsey Graham's uh, opening statement that he feels a very, he's felt that he's been wronged by the Biden administration, that his choice as South Carolinian, Michelle Childs, was not selected to be the nominee. And he feels, and he said this as such, right, that um, there was dark money, liberals on the far left wanted to sink his choice and put up Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. And he said that during the opening statement, he was going to ask her about some of these things. Now, both of these are connected because these are these vendettas that Lindsey Graham has brought up. They have nothing to do with Judge Jackson, nothing at all. And it is ludicrous to think that she would use their time to respond to them because simply she can't, right? These things don't have anything to do with her. These are all things that Lindsey Graham um, right, is using his platform to, to litigate, nothing to do with her. He's asking her about attacks that other people made on another potential nominee. I mean, it's just, right. it was cringeworthy, at least for me, watching this. Um, and the, another thing that sort of ha happened during these hearings that has sort of gone unsaid um, so far as of this recording, is that the GOP is uh, launching these bizarre attacks on Ketanji Brown-Jackson. On Tuesday, the GOP released an ad, a social media ad, conflating her with critical race theory, but doing it in the most simplistic, reductive way possible. They put up her initials, KBJ, and superimposed, canceled, crossed it out, and superimposed CRT for um, critical race theory. And that, to me, was absolutely shocking. What do you make of this? 
I, I was not shocked, um, to be honest. I, I wasn't shocked because the, the Republican Party at this moment does not have a clear identity. And this is due to the split between um, conservative ideologies, those that hold conservative ideologies, and those who are loyal to Trump that don't have a steer policy preference. And so what the GOP strategy seems to be in order to win election in this midterms will be strumming up cultural war wars, not necessarily attacking the Biden administration on policy and putting forth their own, right? That's the key, putting forth their own. Instead, they are trafficking and fear-mongering. And so we know that there is a deep-seated fear um, amongst many conservatives that what's being taught to our nation's children are things that they find offensive, talking about racism um, or or slavery or the things that people of African descent in the United States have had to endure is somehow diminishing the legacy of America or um, painting all white Americans as inherently racist without looking at the structures and institutions that support um, a racist, the white supremacist agenda. And so that's actually what's happening here. I'm not necessarily just surprised. Uh, KG, uh, KBJ is the latest has iteration on this attack, but this is something that we've seen happen before. And I think it's precisely because there is not a policy alternative. There are, um, again, things that the party in the minority party does not like that they want to, um, you know, kind of push back on the Biden administration, but they haven't put forward their own, right? They haven't said this is what they would like to see if they were, um, in, in policy terms, what they would like to see if they have a majority in November. Another thing that they're trying to do is paint her as uh, soft on crime. I mean, you know, this too, at least to me, seems to be a racist dog whistle type uh, approach, you know, to take a black woman uh, judicial nominee to the Supreme Court and paint her as soft on crime is a way to then link her to the defund the police demand of Black Lives Matter. I imagine that that's, I can only speculate that that's what's going through their heads. But can you comment on, I believe it was Josh Hawley in particular, who seemed to be cherry picking statements that she made around child pornography cases that she's adjudicated? Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, and political scientists have found that these dog whistles and sometimes even these explicit statements that paint people of color, particularly black Americans as being deviant or criminals or wanting things to be soft on crime actually pays off with political advantages for those that are making the attacks. Because in Americans' mind eyes, right, blacks are painted as deviant, as criminal, and, as, and are a group of people that do not want law and order. However, research shows that's nothing farther from the truth. Actually, African-Americans are more likely to say that they would like an increased police presence. What they don't want are the negative aspects of policing that, um, that don't pay any attention to the civil liberties or human rights of, of black and brown people. So there's a difference here. But the literature is clear, right, that African-Americans are one of the more pro-police communities in the United States. And it has a lot to do with the communities that they live in around. Um, we know that the, the things that add to crime, that social factors that add to crime, like poverty, lack of education, lack of resources to healthcare, opportunities for advancement are things that are hotbeds for crime that happen in communities that have been, um, you know, that, that, that have not had access to resources. I so mean, that just pro, simply- pro public is, safety maybe is a, is a way to put it? It is pro-public safety, right? And that's, and the two, right, they just are speaking past one another because they're relying or trafficking the stereotypes that Black people want to commit crimes and therefore are anti-law and order. 
but that's nothing. Yeah, that, that's not true. Do you think that um, this week's hearings are basically a way to use Ketanji Brown Jackson as this you know, uh, canvas against which uh, political parties are, are going to have their say, but that also, and which of course is abusive to her, uh, right. but that ultimately um, she will likely get confirmed because there don't seem to be any real serious objections to her other than a white conservative party having a problem with her skin color. Right. She's been confirmed three times um, by many members that are sitting right there today in the Judiciary Committee. Uh, so there is really little conversation around her qualification and this if she's capable of doing this job. Um, in fact, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said this as such. She expects that she'll be confirmed. But they're going to ask some questions to her. Um, she's undoubtedly qualified. What's coming into play, right, are partisan politics. And this, this is something that's new. So most um, nominees have enjoyed a supermajority of, of votes once they are confirmed. It hasn't been until recent years that there's been this stark split between Democrats and, and Republicans on their votes um, to confirm Supreme Court justices. So I, I do wanna put that out there, right? That this is something that is highly unusual and it's part of our political context in today's time and would not be true if we were talking even 15 years ago. So at this point, do you also feel that um... Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson's position on the court as important as it is going to be symbolically in the long term and in the sort of broader framework. We're still looking at a court that has um, only three liberals, so-called liberals, um, and, you know, five to six conservatives, and that this is going to, this is a more of a, a, a running in place, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to, to, to preserve the status quo than even the scales on the court. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Um, if Judge Brown Jackson is confirmed, she'll be maintaining the status quo that's on the current court. There would be three um, justices that are appointed by Democratic presidents, and the other six are appointed by a Republican president. We don't anticipate much to change. However, right, the point that matters the most is that her voice will be in the room. And she has shown in her previous appointments that she was able to change the tenor and the quality of the conversation that perhaps um, persuaded some of her colleagues to think differently about the issues that they were discussing. So I assume that we'll see this on the Supreme Court, right? It matters the voices that are in the room and that she's able to persuade her colleagues to think about something differently in ways that they just didn't think of because they didn't have a perspective of a black woman, a black woman public defender, a black woman that grew up in the South, right? They, they just haven't had that in the room before. So I think that will be the qualitative difference. And I'll also note that her dissent opinions that she writes, and we've seen this on the hearing so far, right? That she's been praised for her thorough and detailed writing, I'm sure will come through, which will serve as precedent for other cases, even if she's not in the majority at this point. What about uh, issues of reproductive justice? Uh, she has said that Roe versus Wade is settled law, and you know, the right in particular has used the issue of abortion to whip up support for any and every presidential candidate who would promise, um, you know, to, to nominate Supreme Court justices that might overturn Roe versus Wade. The issue of abortion on the Supreme Court is a very heavily fraught one, although we would 
be maintaining the, the status quo in terms of numbers on the court? Would her position, would her presence and decision-making on the court change the tenor of the conversation around abortion rights? I mean, I certainly hope so. Um, there's much at stake, and we see this playing out in state legislators, state legislatures across the nation right now. But it's also really clear that the right has um, right has has a very clear agenda. They have a mandate, um, as they feel, to really repeal uh, Roe versus Wade and to protect the lives of the unborn as they see it. Uh, what's different here, again, right, is that. Uh, Judge Brown Jackson will be in the minority. She'll be able to use her her voice to um, to kind of illuminate things that perhaps the other justices might not think of. But I honestly, right, she doesn't control what's going to come, what's sitting before the court right now. She's not on the court. And there are cases that are inevitably going to come to the court in this session because of the things that state legislatures are, are passing. So it's... Um, I think it's more of a game of wait and see. We'll probably be able to answer this question um, in a couple of months, for the better or worse. Right. Um, and then let's also talk about um, the fact that uh, the issue of, well, the Republicans like to call it court packing, but expanding the Supreme Court is something that has come up uh, outside of these hearings. It's not clear why it needs to come up during the hearings, because, of course, Judge uh, Jackson potentially future Justice Jackson would have very little say over increasing the size of the court, but Republicans are bringing it up nonetheless, right? Right. Um, and so this is a, I think this is something that's looking forward to the November 22 election, and that is a political tactic, right? This is not necessarily something that Judge Brown Jackson can answer, and indeed she shouldn't, just as Amy Coney Barrett didn't answer this question when she was um, being nominated and confirmed. But the point that I, I also want to um, remind your watchers are that there's only one senator in living history, right, that is actually walking around living today that has changed the size of the court. And that was Mitch McConnell when he refused to bring um, Obama's choice of Merrick Garland to the Senate. So this is kind of a um, hyperbole or this kind of tongue-in-cheek thing that the GOP is currently doing precisely because it our living memory, right? We're not even talking decades ago. We're talking a couple of years ago, right? This is, it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago when uh, Merrick Garland was denied a confirmation hearing. So this is something that is political and has nothing to do with Judge Brown Jackson. Finally, uh, Dr. Brown, there were hundreds of uh, largely women, largely black women outside the court this week during the hearing. That yeah, were... I was one of them. Ah, okay, wonderful. <laughs> um, what was that like outside the court then? What was the feeling like, particularly for young black girls who look at Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson? I mean, it's hard to overstate the importance of the symbolism. Oh my gosh. And I, um, I mean, if this were a different kind of platform, I would share with you a picture of my, my two-year-old that's gone viral of her yesterday oh. on, um, on the court, uh, standing outside on, um, on the steps of the Supreme Court, holding up her, her little uh, rally sign. And I reflected back on this yesterday that I was totally down there at the court in mom mode, right? I had on jeans, sneakers, right? Like very nondescript. And there were other high profile black women that were dressed to the nines, right? This was a professional outing for them. And for me, I was out there, although I'm a political scientist, studies black women, political elites, I was out there as mama. And I wanted my girls to see, to feel, to just feel part of history. And it was, it felt like, 
a, a, a family reunion where there were distant cousins that were giving hugs and people that you knew were family, but you didn't know quite how, um, that you just embraced. And there was a feeling of joy in the air because this is such an historic nomination that someone who looks like us, and particularly for my girls, looks like, literally looks like us, darker skin with natural hair, um, like me, Judge Brown Jackson has locks. Um, this was just right something that I think my girls just felt at a palatable level. And to be honest, I felt too. So I'm putting a lot perhaps on my four and two-year-old, um, but I have pictures and I will hope, I hope that they will remember this, right? As I show them these pictures and talk about this um, as they continue to grow. So in their lifetime, they will say, right? I have a black woman vice president. There's a black woman Supreme Court justice. And the black woman Supreme Court justice actually looks like me. And I, I think, um, you know, just seeing yourself represented lets little girls and little boys know that you too can aspire to do this. Seeing someone in a position that you perhaps would like to be, or seeing someone in a position overcome all things that you have to overcome because you share a same social location and an identity inspires people. And that's true in political science literature that I cite to that I write about that I read that I teach my students. And it's but it's so much different to teach this to my girls and to see this in my children. There's power in that sort of narrative of uh, the visual narrative and Judge uh, Jackson herself has two daughters which is also really heartening to see. Dr. Nadia Brown, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. My guest is Dr. Nadia Brown, Professor of Government and Chair of the Women's and Gender Studies Program and Affiliate in the African American Studies Program at Georgetown University. She's also lead editor of Politics, Groups and Identities, a journal of the Western Political Science Association. We've been talking about the Senate confirmation hearings of Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.